brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Hallelujah and hello, Higher Side Chatters. Congratulations on making it through another day in the simulation. No, the game's not over yet. And what a game it is. In fact, you can drive yourself crazy trying to understand this weird reality we find ourselves in. But even more surprising is the fact that most people float through the whole thing without giving it much thought at all. Operating on the assumption that for the most part, it's all settled science. When in reality, the mainstream models are so full of number fudges, glossed over gaps, uninspiring assumptions, and completely different scales when it comes to conventional physics and the quantum realm, that I have a hard time calling them experts at all. Because behind the bravado, condescension, and dare I say intentional deception of mainstream science, We have secret societies, the CIA, and even ancient civilizations that have operated on much different models that make reality seem like a pretty damn magical place, where conscious attention can alter the physical world, flying saucers and free energy devices are not so far-fetched, and psychedelic compounds can take you on a transformative trip through the ether itself. And once you've tried the alternatives, it's easy to see how big a piece of the big conspiracy, our pre-approved understanding of life, the universe, and everything, really is. Well, one of the most exciting new models being built out these days is the hollow fractal graphic unified field theory of Nassim Haramine. You can find Nassim breaking it all down in many online presentations, TED Talks, and his documentary, The Connected Universe. You can even explore the full curriculum and complete courses in this new science at the Resonance Academy online. The man has inspired many people as his work gains more and more steam, and one of these people is today's guest, Joe, who operates under the username D8 underscore THC on Reddit, where he spawned the Hollow Fractal subreddit based off Nassim's ideas and built it up to over 20,000 subscribers. Well, I'm certainly psyched to have him here, the passionate advocate for the Hollow Fractal hypothesis, Joe D8 underscore THC. Welcome to THC. Thank you, Greg. I'm very excited to be on today. That was an awesome intro. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, man. Thank you. And I do appreciate you being here. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I have tried getting Nassim himself, but the man is in high demand, it seems, and his work is so fascinating, there's probably a bunch of people banging down his door. 
So I think this is probably the next best option because you have done a lot with that subreddit and introduced so many new people to this hollow fractal stuff. I think the term itself is sort of self-evident and what it represents, but how would you set this up? What's the elevator pitch to introduce people to this alternative way of viewing the world? Right. So, yeah, as you said, hollow fractal is short for holographic fractal unified field theory. And at its core, it's unified theory of physics. It's mathematical equations to try to unify quantum mechanics with relativity. But that's on the very surface. It really is more like a cosmology or a sort of a worldview because, you know, once you have like a working unified theory of everything, all sorts of things, I think, start to slide into place and start to, you know, fit with the backdrop of a unified theory. I think it encompasses everything from physics and chemistry to biology, spirituality, mysticism, even sacred geometry. And you can even get into ancient advanced civilizations and the knowledge that they seem to have that seems to correlate with this field theory. So yeah, it's kind of like a framework or a worldview that has at its core pure mathematics. So that's how it's summarized generally. Yeah, right on, right on. And of course, this is pretty complex stuff for listeners folding laundry and just trying to navigate that traffic on the way to their nine to five. But I also like uh, this Indra's net analogy. I think it kind of provides a good visualization and it also kind of harkens back to the past and this idea that they might have known more than we think they know. But talk to us about Indra's net. Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely my favorite analogy to describe the theory in like as much of a TLDR, I think, as humanly possible. I think a child could even understand this analogy. Mm -hmm. So basically, I'll read the quote straight as it is. So it goes, far away in the heavenly abode of the great god Indra, there's a wonderful net which has been hung by some cunning artificer in such a manner that it stretches out infinitely in all directions. In accordance with the extravagant tastes of deities, the artificer has hung a single glittering jewel in each eye of the net. And since the net itself is infinite in dimension, the jewels are infinite in number. There hang the jewels, glittering like stars in the first magnitude, a wonderful sight to behold. If we now arbitrarily select one of these jewels for inspections and look closely at it, we'll discover that in its polished surface, there are reflected all the other jewels in the net, infinite in number. Not only that, but each of the jewels reflected in this one jewel is also reflecting all the jewels, so there's an infinite reflection process occurring. And that's the quote from about the third century. So it's pretty old, and <laughs> it basically describes a holographic cosmos, which is really cool. Yes, right. Infinite jewels in a net, all reflections of themselves. That definitely does speak to a fractal nature. And these jewels would be the points that Nassim considers to be many singularities, or I guess you could say black holes, or even photons, it seems. These all might be terms describing the same thing in this model, as far as I can tell. But that is a great analogy to have in mind when trying to understand all this. And this work really is a sort of wiping the slate clean and building up from the beginning, so to speak. And I thought I would just read this from the subreddit sidebar because it does give a good indication of just how broad this work is and the interdisciplinary areas that it covers. But you say, in the past year, the Hollow Fractal subreddit has experienced tremendous growth as more and more people are opening their minds to the possibility that there might be something to the unification of science and spirituality that Nassim's holographic universe theory promotes. 
The part of the holofractal theory and subreddit that amazes me most is the fact that those who find themselves investigating the possibility come from many different perspectives. There's the biology side with topics like biophotons, microtubules, DNA as an antenna, EM vortexes causing cardiac arrest, and a fractal structure to human bone. Then there's the physics enthusiasts with findings like failures in the futile search for dark matter, all galaxies rotating once every billion years, the link between black holes and stellar information, time crystals, and the possibility of a single quantum wave function entangling the entire universe. On the other hand, we have people approaching from a spiritual consciousness perspective, stories like declassified CIA documents talking about remote viewing and consciousness, the law of one, and philosophies of great minds like Terence McKenna, William Blake, and numerous scientists. There are also people intrigued by the symbols and motifs found in ancient civilizations pointing to an advanced culture. Sometimes these connections get lost when someone posts cauliflower or bubbles, goes heavy on the physics with retrocausal quantum theory, or animated GIFs of the flower of life, but it is important to remember that despite the many different subjects covered, it is all connected and we are all connected. And I think that's a great summary of sorts, and with a theory that is supposed to be so fundamental, you would expect to see it across all these different disciplines. But on top of that, maybe you can talk to us a bit about your journey through it. What were some of the elements that caught your attention first? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I was experimenting with psychedelics, as I guess we kind of do. Yes. <laughs> Mostly DMT, and I had, I guess, what you would call a couple of breakthrough experiences. Mm. You know, like total ego death, total merging with the things that people have described for millennia that I'm sure we're all aware of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I came out of those experiences knowing that I had felt something extremely real, that I'd gone to a place where it seemed like it was everything, like all possible configurations before it was actually in a specific form, like all time, no space. You know, it felt like you're inside of a singularity sort of in the God mind, I guess you could call it, you know, coming out and back to the real world, you sort of have this dichotomy of materialism that you most likely, we all have grown up with, you know, learning in our physics class, learning that basically things are billiard balls interacting and, you know, life was an accident and consciousness is also an accident of biology and it's an illusion, essentially. And, you know, this doesn't really sit right it causes sort of a rift i think for a lot of people and it was kind of a rift for me you know i didn't know whether i could fully internalize these experiences eventually i think i watched the documentary thrive that first introduced me to nasim's work it was just an intro you know he was just talking a little bit about toroidal energy flows and toroidal patterns not much stuff about the holography that came more when i saw one of his later documentaries called Black Hole with a W, W-H-O-L-E. And basically, him describing a holographic universe or a universe that is completely entangled and talking with itself, that really felt intuitively like correct in my mind that, oh, this could potentially explain, you know, the mystical experience. This could explain the merging with the awe that feels so real that a lot of people have. And I'm like, but whoa, you know, hold on. Don't just dive right into this new age woo, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like take your time yeah so you know it took me a couple months of really diving into his stuff to really be like okay 
I think this is it. And I think there's something really here. Mm. Yeah, man. It's obviously pretty deep stuff, but this is starting to make a lot of sense. And I think it's important to get into this discussion of conventional physics and why we need a new model. Of course, the most obvious is that we don't currently have a unified physics. We have a model for big things and a completely different model for small things at the quantum level. And as Nassim says, this is stupid because big stuff is made up of small stuff. Right. So, you know, what would you say about the history of physics and areas where the hollow fractal model corrects some of the previous mistakes or holes? Well, there's a lot of those. <laughs> there's a lot of those corrections. But yeah, so, you know, we have relativity and quantum mechanics, like you just said. I can't describe the gravitational field with the quantum fluctuations that we know that are everywhere. We can't merge the two. So yeah, so Einstein, you know, came up with equations to describe a gravitational field of a body, but he didn't solve those equations. A man named Carl Schwarzschild actually solved those equations for a spherical body. And the way he solved them was through infinite curvature. He solved it when this grid or plane of field basically contracted to become a single point, which we call a singularity. It's an infinite amount of curvature. You know, this is what we all know is to be a black hole. It's curved so much that once light enters, it can't escape. And so this infinity is actually really important for Nissim's solution. There's infinities on the quantum mechanics side as well. And I'll go into that a little bit too, I guess, to see how we can merge the two concepts based on these infinities. You know, most physicists think that the infinities are where our physics is breaking. And yeah, it is. But it's also, I think, giving us a clue as to where these two theories converge. And that seems to be black holes. So if we move over to quantum mechanics, basically, quantum mechanics was started through a problem. Basically, there is something called the ultraviolet catastrophe. And this is when physicists were trying to calculate how much energy was being put out by something that's emitting light at all frequencies which is called a black body emitter. Something like the sun is a close approximation of a black body emitter. And since it's emitting light on all frequencies, you essentially end up, when you try to calculate the amount of energy for the ultraviolet spectrum, you get an infinite amount of radiation. You get an infinite amount of energy. And this obviously isn't right. You know, you're not getting ultraviolet photons don't have infinite amount of information. So this was a problem for a little bit until Max Planck inadvertently solved this problem. And he was trying to actually make a better light bulb. And the way he solved this problem was by quantizing light into little packets of energy. This turned into what we call the photon. But, you know, he thought it was a fudge factor. He's like, why if I section a wave of light, why does this work out? You know, it doesn't seem that energy moves in discrete packets. It seems that energy moves in a continuous analog wave, sort of. Not like when you heat up your oven, it doesn't seem to jump temperatures. It seems to smoothly increase. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But when he did this, it fixed the problem. You know, ultraviolet radiation, you know, we're getting the correct amount of energy for it. But you do have this infinity still when you realize the electromagnetic field spans the entire cosmos and you apply these same principles, which that is that the field is vibrating at all possible modes from largest wavelengths to smallest wavelengths. If you actually go to Wikipedia and you type in vacuum energy, it'll essentially be saying the same thing and say that the result of basic quantum field theory in empty space is that you yield an infinite amount of vacuum energy at each point in space. So there's our second infinity in quantum mechanics, which again, the physicists apply something called renormalization to this 
empty vacuum, which means, again, they're taking Planck's solution, which is to cut it off at the smallest wavelength. So when Planck solved the ultraviolet catastrophe, he ended up with something called Planck's constant, which describes the smallest fluctuation that makes these discrete packets of energy. And it's got a specific size, it's got a specific energy, and it's got a specific time because it's a fluctuation of electromagnetic energy. So if you take this and you apply it to empty space, then you cut off the infinity, but you're still left with an extreme amount of energy in empty space. It's something like 10 to the 93 grams per centimeter cubed, which is just, it might as well be infinity. Because if you took the entire universe and you smushed it into the same spot, you wouldn't have anywhere near that energy. You would have 10 to the 55 grams, which is the mass of the observable universe. So this is the largest problem in all physics called the vacuum catastrophe. This is sort of the clue that led Nassim down his path. But does that all make sense so far? It does. It basically seems like there's the gaps in the conventional models that you had to inject an infinity to get these things to work. And Planck's constant as well had to be kind of fudged in there. So they have these equations that make the math work, but yet they can't really explain why. They just know that you plug them in and things seem to work out on paper. Is that more or less the case? That definitely is the case, yeah. Right on. Cool. So I try to think about this. We talked about Indra's net and I think about like a net of Christmas lights. Like at the quantum microscopic level, we're told that there's more empty space than there is matter. And we have this massive emptiness between atoms. Well, I guess this theory is saying that there is a quantum net of photons that maybe even the photon has been misidentified, that it itself is a small mini black hole spinning at an incredible rate. Am I getting this right? You are absolutely correct, yes. So even before we get to that, you know, a couple of physicists did take this enormous vacuum energy very seriously, like John Wheeler did. People are probably aware of the terms quantum foam. And what that is describing basically is that the Planck scale, there are these black holes and these wormholes that are super high energy and connecting different space-time pixels. And Nassim's solution, yes, he changes this a bit so that the empty structure of space is actually black hole photons in a specific crystalline configuration at the Planck scale. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was pretty weird when I first heard him say something to the effect that we're inside of a black hole. Yeah. But as he explained it further and you get into this fractal side of things, it's actually fairly simple. Inside the shell of an atom is a black hole. Inside a planet or a star is a black hole. In the center of the galaxy as well. And then it would scale up to the universe itself. And by black hole, that really is saying a vortex that connects to the energy field or what's been called the ether or the consciousness realm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's absolutely fair to say. It's also very easy to see that we live in a black hole because if you take the mass of our observable universe and you plug it into the Schwarzschild radius calculator, if you take the mass and plug it in, you yield the Hubble radius. There's a Wikipedia page that's called Black Hole Cosmology, and it states that, you know, right at the top, and it says, <laughs> most physicists look at this as a coincidence. And it's like, well, maybe they should keep an open mind, because maybe all of these things aren't coincidences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I love the hollow earth theory. And Nassim sort of confirms it in a response where he mentioned the growing earth and that if you reduce the earth's size by 60%, all the continents would fit together perfectly based on the models. And that makes sense to me because why wouldn't a planet grow bigger just like a tree or a human or anything else does? And on top of that, just like all atoms, he considers there to be a black hole or a singularity or what some have called in the past an inner sun at the core of the earth. And of course, I like hearing that. And when trying to conceptualize this, one thing he said that was helpful for me is he's like, think about a bathtub full of water, you pull the plug and there's a vortex. So there's a thing there, but it's not really a thing. And it's really just a window into, you know, potentially, if you think about these vortexes and photons and black holes all as the same thing, it's a window into that consciousness fabric or that universal field that's out there somewhere. And so at every single point, we have these vortexes. And that's kind of like the thread that stitches this reality to this overlay that everybody's been talking about in Eastern mysticism, psychedelics. And this is what we're talking about. And these are kind of the details that flesh it out, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. A very easy way to visualize these vortices is just change in, in density from the cosmological scale, which is the universal scale, down the Planck scale, which is the highest density. So you just have this change in density of nested fractal black holes. Basically, like if you had a large vortex in water, you get these small micro vortices that are going to spawn on the outside of it. For example, when Nassim talks about supermassive black holes at the core of galaxy, it's very easy to see and comprehend that the galaxy is being produced by this supermassive black hole. So when you look at a spiral galaxy, if you imagine that this ether is entrained with this supermassive black hole and it's spinning with this supermassive black hole, you're going to get these smaller vortices that are spawned off of this black hole. And those are your particles, which eventually are spinning together and become stars. And, or you have black holes that are spinning off that are stars and you have smaller ones spinning off those stars, you know, that become planets and a fractal set of vortices all being driven by this massive pressure of the quantum vacuum being present at all scales. Hmm. Right on. Yeah, this is really interesting, man. And that was something that I liked about Nassim's work is when it comes to consciousness and the microcosm of the Earth, I've had a few guests bring up the animus model that really all life is conscious, uh, plants, animals, maybe even all matter itself, like rocks. And that's like the sort of intuitive understanding that I can kind of get on board with, consciousness is permeating through all things. But Nassim sort of supplies that mathematics to support the animus model. And something that I've always wondered about is the differences in consciousness between plant and animal and humans. Obviously, there are different levels of complexity. And a light bulb just went off in my head when he describes, like you mentioned, the density being the reason for higher complexity, that the density of these photons these, or these black holes is a lot more condensed within humans than it might be in other forms of matter. And it really is an analogy to how we talk about AI. We constantly talk about the fact that once AI is set loose, it's going to keep making itself smarter by folding all its information back into its big net of knowledge. and you could almost say that that's reality, that consciousness is a field that reinforces itself 
by experience and then reaches or manifests higher levels of complexity. I mean, that's how it sounded to me when he was saying it. And it really did seem to be like AI is a, a perfect analogy for how it's going to like make itself smarter. Yeah, it's very interesting. It brings up some philosophical questions. Like when we talk about Nissim solution and we talk about this field of basically fluctuating pixels of information that are basically entangled and talking with one another. To me, there's a very interesting question on whether we're going to be able to recapitulate that into machine because these Planck spherical units, due to the fact that they are toroidal oscillations that are continually doing feedback, reaching out and going back into the core singularity and reaching out, and they're building in complexity from this source. You could call it the source fluctuation or the acacic field, but are we going to be able to replicate those dynamics into a system that is able to self-grow and self-complexify without like a spark? You know, do you need that spark of initial awareness or not? Maybe some sort of plasma technology would be closer to replicating consciousness. But your analogy with the feedback loops and with these neural networks where they're trying different values, they're taking what works and they're feeding that back into the process in sort of like a order from chaos type deal is definitely a good way to explain cosmological evolution in an entangled holographic universe. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of an area that is still a bit fuzzy to me is this network that goes through everything. He says it's in like every atom. Mm -hmm. So it's in a stapler as much as it is my body. I mean, not as much, but it's in inanimate objects too, right? I mean, this isn't just biological. Oh, yeah. It's everything. <laughs> okay. So from that perspective, I mean, if it's ingrained in atoms and we make a supercomputer, I would assume, like I used to say that this whole idea, this whole Ray Kurzweil stuff is kind of stupid, that there's something magical about consciousness and you're not going to be able to duplicate it. But if it's in all atoms from the ground up and you build something that's actually plugged into it at the quantum level, I mean, it's kind of scary because it seems like that could unlock the entire universe. Yeah, it's a good point. So I think it really depends on our tech, obviously. The way I think about our technology right now, if you think about the background field that's creating everything, the Planck field that everything is sort of evolving out of, I think of our machines right now as kind of just like metal blocks that are sitting in this somatic field that aren't interacting. You know, they're completely disconnected from it. They're not coherent. Mm -hmm. They don't have this fractal scalar coherency down to the Planck scale. And that's because they weren't grown out of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like nature does. Nature grows out of it. So it maintains these golden ratio proportions, these harmonics of fractal electromagnetic fields. And that's the important part is that it's being built from the ground up and not something that's slapped together with a couple of silicon boards. So I think, is it possible? Maybe. But are we close to it? I don't think we're close to making something that can express the consciousness of the Planck field and interface with us with it. But that's just my opinion, and I'm not really sure on Resonant Science Foundations. Really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I have no idea. I just found it to be a, an analogy of sorts with the AI thing. But obviously, we needed to establish some context for this full theory up front. But I did want to get into the weird stuff, because one of my favorite aspects of uh, some new models is folding in all the stuff that the conventional model tends to leave out or ignore. Things like the paranormal, psi effects, remote viewing, astral projection, the psychedelic experience, like you mentioned. 
the reality of free energy or electrogravitic crafts, the odd things we see in ancient civilizations that indicate some deeper understanding than we have today, all that kind of stuff. And the hollow fractal concept is really great at incorporating all these weird things that I kind of love. Is there any particular weirdness to get into it that strikes you as a real aha moment under the hollow fractal model? I think one of the ones that did was remote viewing. And especially seeing the CIA documents on remote viewing and mm. some researchers at the CIA that were working on the projects on remote viewing, the gateway projects, and how that sort of clicks into place with a holofractal model and the fact that they were basically describing a very similar model in that there's this non-local entangled Planck field that connects everything. So I think if you're able to go within or if you're able to change your consciousness to the point where you can resonate with a specific set of information that is within the holographic information that is within each and every proton. If you're able to resonate with that information, then you're able to, you know, just pick up on it non-locally. And I think that is the basis for all of the other sort of, I guess, what you would call them new age or spiritual ideas that a lot of us are aware of. Even things such as feeling people's emotions and vibing with them and go down to telepathy all come from this non-local resonating field, I think. Uh-huh. Like things like um, the phenomenon of being stared at and knowing that it's happening. It's this exactly. uh, interconnectedness. And I like the remote viewing stuff too. It's weird because on a base level, I think of remote viewing as something the police use. They get a psychic. They give them a piece of someone's clothing and the psychic can find where the bodies buried or whatever you know they've had cases like that mm -hmm. but then you scale it up a little bit and it gets to be quite weird where there are remote viewing groups that say they project their consciousness out to the ruins that exist on the moon or on mars they have observations of civilizations that are just completely foreign which indicates you know off planet and i guess i'm okay with that but it is obviously quite epic and it sounds quite weird and the hard part the fuzziness of it is how do you use the field to get to a point in space that we don't even have coordinates for like when it comes to mars as far as you and i are concerned that's just an idea out there like we know there might right. be another thing out there but to quote unquote land on it with your mind by using the field I don't know. That's I kind of yeah. I almost am tempted to get off the bus at that point. Right. That's a very good point. I mean, if it is a real thing, if someone says, you know, okay, remote view Mars and you don't know where Mars is in the sky, right? But there is this archetype or this morphic representation of Mars that is within the consciousness field basically, I guess of everything. So maybe your own conception of Mars is sort of resonating with the morphic archetype representation of Mars and you can sort of zero in on it that way, but you know that's completely esoteric and completely something you know. Who knows? That's a very good question. <laughs> well, you are speaking to something that comes up in a lot of shows about magic and the power of the imagination and ideas that if you concentrate on something enough, it actually becomes real. And I mean, all you got to do is say, so many people have thought about the concept of Mars. We've seen pictures of what it's supposed to look like. You can see it in the night sky. It is just a dot. But there is a, a solid foundation there of an idea of what it would be. And maybe if you're in that field, 
it starts to pulsate or vibrate or draw you to it like magnetism. Exactly. Because there are people in magical circles who say they create entities to serve them, servitors, that kind of stuff. Like you just think hard enough and you make a little mental hermunculus that starts running around doing stuff for you. Right. We really don't understand how real ideas are. You know, they might be very real. There might not be much separation between this world of what's an idea and what's actually out there. So I don't know. I guess I can conceive of a, a possible way to achieve remote viewing of Mars. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this comes down to, you know, you can keep interpreting it as this materialistic equation and you can just keep being like, oh, okay, it's holographic. It's kind of communicating. Okay, so it's a dead quantum computer. But then there's also the other way of going about it, which is like, no, these equations are describing like a God mind. It's describing a universal consciousness that is springing matter into existence. And this entire thing is minded. And the entire thing is archetypes and ideas. And the entire thing is basically the imagination playing out. And I think with that, you're always coming back to the mystery and that interpretation, which I really like. Mm hmm. Yeah. And we did just do a show about the different kinds of processing. Even just in the brain, we have serial and parallel processing in the left and right hemisphere. And then you get into quantum processing, which is reaching into that fabric and pulling out an answer rather than going through a process of ones and zeros to solve an equation. You could just reach into that quantum field and pull out your answer. And I think that right there might be the model for how remote viewing anywhere in the universe could work. Yep, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. Even the imagination itself and people like Nikola Tesla who would sort of do that would close their eyes and get visions on different inventions or get visions on how to something just clicked, you know, and he just got this total and complete idea that seemingly was plucked right out of the ether. Well, maybe it actually was plucked out of the universal consciousness ether. Mm -hmm. And the point you made about it being alive itself is obviously important. Maybe you just go into it and it knows. It's like, oh, you're trying to access this. Well, here you go. Here it is. Like, you know, right. it's connected at every atom. So it seems hyper intelligent if it created everything already. I mean, maybe this is God we're talking about. But uh, in terms of conspiracy stuff, I like how I've heard you talk about this before. In the context of the Philadelphia experiment, I guess I would ask, how could this model explain something like the Philadelphia experiment and this idea that a battleship was warped in and out of reality? Yeah, so first, the sim solution, like we were saying earlier, requires that space itself is basically wormhole fabric and particles themselves are basically nests of entangled black holes, which can kind of be looked at as sort of a foamy wormhole soup. And normally things, you know, are where they're supposed to be. You know, his solution does dictate that everything is in communication with everything else and everything knows the location of everything else because everything is interacting with everything else and exchanging information. I mean, instantly this wormhole connected space-time fabric means that there's potential for quantum tunneling through these wormholes from place to place. And in fact, that's actually what's going on. Say when you move your hand, your hand being made up of spinning black hole photon Planck spherical units, your empty space not spinning, it's 
background fabric. But when you move your hands, like you were saying earlier, this is much like a vortex moving through water. It's not the individual water molecules that are moving. It's this vorticular dynamic that's moving through space. So we're already quantum tunneling and wormhole jumping from pixel to pixel all the time. So if the Philadelphia experiment did happen, I think it's feasible to speculate that it happened through some sort of quantum resonance, through altering the resonance of the ship through vibration to allowing it to sort of mesh with this space background either and jump around and even jump time. Because when you have an entangled like quantum wave function, you actually have retrocausal entanglement, which means things in the future can influence things in the past. And you have all of your past interactions still entangled with you because the past and the future are basically interfering to make the present. So you get this time possibility as well, which is pretty cool. Hmm. Interesting. So like if you have this battleship in the ocean, you could just maybe find its frequency and it slips into the vortexes, into the fabric, and then maybe comes back out again? That's what it seems like. Phasing out, phasing in. I mean, if atoms are doing that all the time anyway, seems potentially possible, I assume. Yeah. And it also kind of helps to explain flying saucer electrogravitic crafts too, right? Because it seems like he's saying with enough spin, you can just move about through this field because everything is entangled and all these crafts seem to spin. The Nazi bell seem to be about rotating and counter-rotating mercury. So that's very much in the mix to this, generally, I think it's called ether physics type of science, type of technology. But I mean, it fits right into this model too. It all plugs right in. Yeah, it's very easy to look at it as fluid mechanics. When you look at ether theory in light of fluid dynamics or even plasma fluid dynamics, then yeah, stuff like that starts to make sense. Like, oh, gravitational curvature is actually just verticular spin. If you map the change in acceleration when you're going down a vortex, then you get what Einstein described as increasing curvature. So when you replace just this flat plane idea of gravity that most of us have from seeing like either the trampoline with the ball on it and this curvature happening, when you replace that with fluid dynamics, a lot of this stuff starts to make intuitive sense. And that's especially relevant for even the interpretation of quantum mechanics like pilot wave versus Copenhagen, but we can go into that later, but it's similar stuff. Sure. And it's just getting back to that fractal element. It's kind of like the way you're describing it, the way I've heard Nassim describe it, I start to think, well, we have all these little points of light, basically, with massive space in between. And you start to think, man, if I had a quantum microscope and I was looking at something under it, it would almost look like outer space. It would look like huge, vast emptiness with little points of light in between them. That's the fractal nature of everything, right? Yeah, absolutely. I remember like probably 15 years ago, I think I was listening to Terrence McKenna and he said something about, it's no accident that an electron going around a nucleus of an atom looks like planets going around the sun or the solar system. Mm. And it blew my mind at the time. Little did I know, you know, how relevant that would be. Yeah, that you could extrapolate that out so much. But uh, you mentioned pilot wave. Let's talk about that a bit. Okay, yeah. So after quantum mechanics started, it became popular. The physicists met in Copenhagen and sort of decided on this interpretation of these experiments, most notably the dual slit experiment, the double slit experiment. We settled on an interpretation of quantum mechanics known as the Copenhagen interpretation. And this is what we all think of usually when we think of quantum mechanics. We think 
that particles are both particles and waves, or they're both, and that particles are not actually in a specific location, but they're in a superposition of all these states, and that if you observe a particle being shot through these double slits, that it goes from being a wave into a particle, and it knows something is observing it, and it's sort of abandoned mechanical causality there. You're not really allowed to try and visualize this experiment. You know, if you ask physicists, how do I visualize this? They're like, well, you don't have to. It doesn't have to make logical sense to a human brain. You're like, are you sure? I think we should have some logical consistency here, you know? So yeah, that kind of has tainted the past, however long, it's been like 60, 80 years of quantum mechanics and of how we look at the universe in this very weird light. But there is another interpretation that will give you these same answers in the double slit experiment, things such as wave particle duality and collapse, things such as quantum tunneling. And it's old. It's as old as Copenhagen. And there's a couple of guys that worked on it, the Boglier and David Bohm. They called it pilot wave. They're like, well, wait a second. This kind of makes sense if we look at the double slit experiment in some sort of fluid mechanics lens. Like if you have this field that sort of is in resonance with this particle and you shoot a particle like a vortex through this field, then of course you're going to also have this guiding wave that is made in the field as you shoot the particle. But if you interfere with it, if you touch this wave, this particle, then you're going to collapse the resonance and it's going to look like it's back to just a particle. But it's nothing crazy or esoteric. It's just fluid mechanics. But there's a couple of strange things that come out of that. Why aren't all the physicists saying, duh, you know, this is obviously the correct model. And that's because it has either inherent non-locality, which means that all of these different pieces of the wave have to be informed of all the other pieces of the wave instantly, or there needs to be some local hidden variable that we can't grasp. We're obviously starting with the SIM solution with all of these other solutions to say, no, the wave's entangled with itself, either through these micro wormholes or through regular quantum entanglement. But the important part is that the quantum wave function can be the entire cosmos. It's not just your single little double slit experiment. And so that's a lot, I think, for people to swallow because right off the bat, you're saying you have one quantum wave function in which everything is entangled and everything is an in instantaneous feedback with itself. So that's like mainstream physics right there. And it's mm -hmm. kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean... I'm not a big Neil deGrasse Tyson fan, but one thing you said that I liked is that the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah, kudos to you, Neil. <laughs> but, um, you know, another thing I wanted to ask you about, I think a lot of people here are familiar with the flower of life and sacred geometry, but a lot of these patterns are what we see in crop circles. And the thought has always been that someone or something is trying to give us clues to how reality is really structured. And within the hollow fractal framework, even that seems to make sense, don't you think? Yeah, especially the flower of life. So the flower of life, I'm sure all of your listeners know, found all over the ancient cultures. But when the sim was doing his equations for the proton, he found that these Planck spherical photonic black holes were actually packed in this tetrahedral configuration, which is the flower of life. So that empty space and matter is made up of these overlapping spherical flower of life patterns, basically interference pattern. And yet you do see a lot of crop circles that either represent this tetrahedral packing geometry with geometries such as the vector equilibrium. You also see a ton of crop circles that are flower of life, seed of life. And 
to me, it does make sense that crop circles actually make sense to me as a communication modality for a bunch of reasons, but mostly because it's non-threatening, non-invasive. And more than that, it's not invasive to people who don't want to even think about the universe not being materialistic. You know, they can go on, you know, with their day-to-day lives without thinking a single thought about this quantum ether, Akashic field, and they could just go about minding their business because they can write it off in their heads to something man-made. But yeah, when you look into these crop circles, you know, there's some very astonishing things like them encoding the ancient alchemical squaring the circle in them and the fact that they can be remade with a square and compass. So yeah, it's definitely a very cool aspect that they encode some of the geometries that are coming out of unified physics. So mm-hmm. It's like a call to initiation. You can take it or not. Exactly. It's just funny because it often seems to be these orbs of light that make these patterns. And we've also heard a lot of, of new agey stuff about the light body. And I guess if this field is basically photons, if you were able to move through it, you might appear as an orb of light. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I wonder if it's possible to do these things remotely too. Like if you have the right tech to be able to probe into the holographic field and just throw an electromagnetic spinner pattern into the field in it to the right location. I have no idea, but that's the possibility in a non-local cosmos. Yeah. I mean, is the thing that kind of gets me is thinking at that universal scale that this fabric goes through literally everything. And then you think, well, to be able to tap into that, I mean, you would think that we'd be seeing stuff constantly from the vast outreaches of the cosmos where civilizations who have reached this level of development are just popping in left and right, like on a daily basis in an undeniable scale because the universe is supposedly so vast, but yet it only happens very rarely. And maybe it's just like, why pay attention to Earth when there's so many more interesting places out there? Right. Yeah, I think I sort of follow the, what's it called in Star Trek, the prime directive kind of thing. I think I adhere a little bit to that where if they are out there, they're trying to let us, you know, come to our own non-invasive prods, maybe a sighting here or there or a crop circle with some cool mathematical knowledge here or there, but not to infringe upon our free will. I'm also a fan of Law of One who goes into this kind of stuff a lot. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it does seem very empty for being completely entangled but you know if you do a psychedelic if you do the right psychedelics you know that goes right out the window and you're like oh there they are hello (laughs) cheers to that yeah i've been in that etheric soup just talking to entities disembodied things i don't know yeah who knows (laughs) archetypes or disembodied entities maybe just ideas but yeah (laughs) but it does seem just a bit vulnerable if it were to fall on the ro- into the wrong hands, you know, like the CIAs or the Freemasons or something. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely, man. It's interesting to think about that there's like cosmic battles happening <laughs> or like, you know. It also makes me think about the CE5 contact protocol. I don't know if you're too familiar with that, but it always seemed a bit cheesy to me. These people claim to go out in the desert and summon orbs of light with meditation and chanting. But within this framework, it seems like maybe you glow on the other side when you start trying to call that kind of stuff. And like a spotlight, things just start to come. Yeah, I think that concept of like resonance is fundamental to grasping that kind of stuff, that things will attract like things and things will start to entrain 
like if you put two pendulums on a moving table, you know, they'll start to be in synchronized swings because they're entrained with each other. And I think that same concept definitely can be applied to things like that. Things like what we were talking about before with the imagination and getting ideas, all just morphic resonance through the morphic field. Hmm. And <laughs> this is also complex and we're kind of <laughs> getting to the end of my line of questioning. I'm with you that any true psychedelic experience is going to leave one wanting, leave one yearning for some other model. And this does a great job of filling in those gaps, especially when you hear Nassim talk about the math and how he just took these things that existed in one area and moved them to this other area. And he's like, look here, now it all works. I guess I would ask, are there any holes in the presentation today that we should fill in any, any gaps that we left? Or do you think we made a pretty complete case? I think we made a pretty complete case. I would like to, I mean, I guess the proton solution within itself, expanding on that a little bit, I'm not sure if it makes sense to talk about it now, but the derivation, it's super simple. So maybe I, I could go over that really quickly. Yeah, yeah, let's throw it in. Okay, so we have these Planck spherical black holes, right, that make up empty space. We know that there's Planck density of vacuum. And so Nassim took this and he tried to apply it to the proton by just dividing a proton by these Planck spherical oscillations. And when you do that, you know how big the proton is and you know how big these Planck spherical units are. So you can you know, divide the proton volume by a Planck spherical volume and multiply by the Planck mass. And when you do that, you yield the mass of the observable universe at 10 to the 55th grams. And so this is the holographical gravitational mass, or this is what, this is the holographic recapitulation of the hole inside the proton volume. And to yield the proton's rest mass, because obviously not all of this mass is expressed locally, it's very simple. You count the amount that are on the surface and you count the amount that are in the volume. So there's about 10 to the 40 of these Planck units that fit on the surface and 10 to the 60 that fit in the volume. You divide one into the other and multiply by the Planck mass and then you yield the rest mass of a standard proton, which is something like 10 to the negative 24 grams. And this is the holographic principle, which states that the surface of a black hole can encode the volume. So this leads to the hypothesis that all of the proton surfaces are entangled with each other through these Planck spherical units on the surface, which are wormholes, and that acts like a buffer, only letting a little bit of the amount of the mass energy through. And that's basically the holographic solution in a nutshell. So, hmm. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And, you know, I hear... Now, Sim used the term vacuum a lot. And, you know, we hear space is a vacuum and a lot of the alternative community just dismisses that, doesn't like that terminology. But vacuum really is not different from vortex. It's like, well, a vacuum to where? Again, with that bathtub drain analogy, there's something on the other side of that vortex. And that's this consciousness realm that's entangled with everything at the atomic level. I mean, I think it's Interesting. I mean, it's just a different way to look at it. I mean, vacuum is considered to be nothingness, but it's not nothingness. It's just a vortex to this source field. Yeah, exactly. What's cool is that the particles are what seem to be the vacuum and the empty space seems to be this the plenum. So it's kind of like an inversion of what we think that particles are, are more dense, but really they're less dense than empty space. And that's what gravity is. Gravity is this more dense space floating into this less dense singularity vacuum consciousness tunnel or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Man, it is deep stuff. It's deep stuff. <laughs> it is. And of course, this is just a 101 understanding for 
my simple stoner mind. But again, man, thank you so much for doing this. I will be keeping tabs on the subreddit for sure. Is there anything else to tell the people about follow-up? Any good material out there you recommend as further 101 study? Well, the Residence Academy is a great place to check it out. If like the subreddit isn't you know enough for you and you're really trying to learn, I don't work for them at all. I just I went, <laughs> I went through the course and it was awesome. So that's definitely another place besides the subreddit to get good info. Awesome. But yeah, thanks for having me on, man. This is awesome. Yeah, man. Well, keep doing what you do and take care out there. Yeah, you too. Good talking to you. You as well. And boom goes the dynamite, dear listeners. Big thanks to Hollow Fractal Joe, a good guy just trying to bring ideas to the masses. Something I definitely can vibe with. And I do recommend that people check out a presentation or two by Nassim himself. I'll include some stuff in the show notes. But I have fired off a few unanswered emails Nassim's way. I get it. I mean, the man is busy. And the opportunity came up to have Joe on to talk about it. And I thought, hey, that seems like a good substitute. Building a 20,000 person subreddit from nothing is no small thing. And really, I'm just still jazzed up on a lot of the themes from the recent show with Engineer, And I wanted to explore those kind of areas a bit more. And I even asked Engineer what he thought of this overall theory, because it seems like something he would be into. And he basically said, broadly speaking, they're mostly in agreement. Both theories have holographic projection of reality from higher dimensional space and interconnectedness of all matter at a fundamentally conscious level. Obviously, just to get in sync on those things is huge. But in the details, Shimonjanir leans more towards etheric flow than etheric curvature. And instead of a unifying black hole singularity at the center of every atom, he would lean more towards those being like torsion waves or organ or chi or longitudinal waves. Knotted longitudinal waves, I think is exactly the term he used. And, you know, the details are kind of too complex for me to really make a judgment on. But I do love the Indra's net analogy. I do like the openness to the hollow earth idea. And this model that photons, light particles, are the conscious intelligence that we're always talking about. I mean, God and light have always been terms that get used together. But going through this hollow fractal material kind of just drove it home for me. Now people are going to think that I have a secret agenda to lead you all into a sun-worshipping cult, but hey, you knew I was going to reveal myself eventually. But really, tie this into all the research about the benefits of sunlight and infrared or near-infrared spectrum healing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in that regard. A lot of people think most diseases are related to Light deficiency, vitamin D deficiency. So, praise Ra, you know? But I hope you found something to like in this. It is a little challenging to interview someone about someone else's material. Plus, subreddits can be big things. You can't be expected to know about every post there. But I did try to get into some off script stuff that had popped up on the subreddit once we got through all that dense science. Some hits, some misses, but I found the overall value to 
just be presenting you with another model that gets closer to ether physics than the mainstream model. In higher side news, I should say that there was going to be a joint session today on the 25th, but something has come up for me and I am just getting over a bit of sickness. So I want to move it to Monday, the 28th. So anyone who listens to this over the weekend might decide, hey, it's Monday night. Let's smoke a little smoke, drink a little drink and get a little bit weird with the host of THC live on YouTube slash Zoom. So I do look forward to it. They have all been really fun so far. Other than that, of course, if you are just listening to the free public version of THC, still commercial free and action packed, you're welcome. (laughs) I do urge you to sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus. You get access to the full archive. So, so many interviews. You get the music and the forum and several other bonuses. Please treat yourself to twice as much THC and treat me to a little green in the tip jar if you like how this wild ride is going. In today's show, me and Joe got into some films that make for good representations of holofractal concepts. We talked about Joe's trip inside the Great Pyramid with the Resonance Science Foundation. What an opportunity. The importance of breath work, Wim Hof, and increasing your Godhead density, hidden hyperspace kingdoms. Remember when Tracy Twyman talked about that? Maybe they're accessing this ethereal blanket. We also talked about fun stuff like Nassim's take on the Ark of the Covenant, anti-gravitic crafts, the importance of the number 64, and the breatharian stuff. Is it possible to live off the energy of the source field and not eat or drink for years? People are saying they're doing it, and Nassim has been one of them. That said, I am psyched about some of these upcoming shows I have on the schedule, but I always hesitate to say anything until it's actually recorded, so I'm just going to leave it at that. The Hollow Fractal model, in a nutshell... Do check out the Holofractal subreddit and say hello to Joe. I'm getting out of here. I've done my part. Your move, Holofractal haters, ether deniers, and tyrants of the scientific quarantine. Your fucking move. You know the plan has always been to hack your brain. MK Ultra's trying to drive you insane. They'll explode your heart if they think that's what it takes. You think I'm answering the phone? Well, I ain't. You gotta keep the curtains drawn. Cause you don't want anyone thinking you're at home. Well, you're not. You should tape the mail slot. And baby, if I seem withdrawn, let me say it's cause I just don't wanna go and get whacked. Maybe you should know that the trauma affects you like it does everyone. It's just the game plan, it's what the world's become They want a pat down and a swap Don't you see what's going on? Well now you know You're better keeping on your own Cause you can see the masters lie too much Oh baby, you can only trust yourself And if you think the system's out of touch It is and you can only trust yourself I hope you know the elite aren't your friends 
They'll suck out everything from you in the end And if for some reason you think I might be wrong I wonder where you got that opinion from You gotta keep the curtains strong Cause you don't want anyone thinking you're at home Well, you're not You should tape the mail slot And baby, if I seem withdrawn Let me say it's cause I just don't wanna go and get whacked Maybe you should know that The trauma affects you like it does everyone It's just the game plan, it's what the world's become They want a pat down and a swap Don't you see what's going on? Well now you know You're better keeping on your own Cause you can see the masters lie too much Oh baby, you can only trust yourself And if you think the system's out of touch It is and you can only trust yourself Trust yourself Cause you can see the map 